was by myself. Nobody was back from lunch, and I was up like on the second floor. I remember, and my heart just started going crazy. And I started pounding on my chest, dropped to the floor. I remember being on the floor, and some guy walked by out of just nowhere and was like, "Dude, are you all right?" I'm like, "No." Welcome back, guys. What is going on? This is the Science Singer Stigma Podcast. Welcome to another episode full of real life experiences. Joined with me, as always, is my mother, as a lot of you have may know her as Kathy. Hello. And myself, Austin, as we continue our journey to silence the stigma through real lived stories of individuals who are here to educate us. Strap in and enjoy this episode of the Science Singer Stigma Podcast as we continue this journey. I just would like to say thanks to our listeners again for showing up every week and supporting us and also willing to learn. I'm truly grateful to have a platform to share these amazing stories from amazing people. So I would truly like to say thank you to everyone. I appreciate all of you. So now to the good part, which is the intro to our guest of the evening. So we're going to welcome Alan. Hello. Alan's a friend of mine. Uh, we met, we just discussed a couple minutes ago where we met. We met downtown. Yep. Um, several of our <clears throat> guests I met downtown. We had Randy here. We had Mike here. So it's where we feed downtown. Alan showed up. It was right after rehab. It was the day. I don't know if it was the it's, same uh... day, but it was like right up. Pretty much right after, because you were still pretty high and happy, and I wasn't high. I mean, I mean, I'm not high. I I mean, high on life. Right, careful with the word choice. Yeah, sorry, he was (laughs) high on life. Yeah, Um, and he was really excited um, about his rehab stay. And I think Matt, who was also on the podcast before, Mm -hmm. um, that was given the haircuts and stuff. He talked to you first, right? And then I overheard it, and I'm always curious. So I'm like, hey, what we have her yet? And start talking to him about. Have you guys seen Matt? We have not seen Matt. I haven't, I haven't seen him for a while. I haven't seen Matt for a while, no. So he's just, out there. Just so, curious. Yep. Haven't seen him. Reached out to him. He reached out and said we would talk sometime, but I didn't get that conversation yet. So, Matt, if you're listening, still listening, give me a call. Um, but anyway, so we met Alan. Yeah, and like kind of we were talking about, because um, I want to bring that back up, about not remembering when we met, or not remembering actually like a few days, a week later, talking to you again. So yeah, we we, we had that conversation the first time, yeah. and everything was great. Was it the next week? Probably. It Definitely was, within two. Yeah, it was not any longer than two, you're correct. No. It may have been, I think it was two. It, well, it, it, I'm sure at two weeks, that's a definite. So Alan so, doesn't remember having a conversation with me. Parts of it, I do. So like, you guys met, you were homeless at the time? Yeah. Okay. I'd just gotten back from rehab, and I couldn't get back into the shelter, I thought, for four days because I'd already been out. I had to be out 60. What did you go to rehab for? Alcohol. Alcohol. Yeah. That's my drug of choice. Drug of choice. Yeah. So... Yeah, we'll get into his story, but he actually came. He was in bad shape the second time I saw him. Yeah, it wasn't um, good. It wasn't good. No, and when um, they say this disease is progressive, it was like rapidly progressing in the last few months. It was horrible. So, yeah, it was pretty soon after, um, showed up, 
for food. I think you were okay at that point until I said, how are you doing? And then it went downhill quick. Um, yeah, if nobody asks me how I'm doing, I'm usually okay. Yeah, that's how I am too. Usually if you're trying to hold something back and someone says, how yeah. are you? It are you usually out. open and honest when they ask you that question? I was just about to say, but I'm, I'm honest about it. So if somebody does ask, I'm going to tell them. I'm not going to lie to them. Okay. You know, I, for me, that's just not the answer. Gotcha. Um, nope. When you, you're when you're so far in the addiction, and you're even if you're drunk and, or whatever, and you don't you don't remember talking to your mom, um, you still like for me, I still had to fight a lot. It was like it gets really tough sometimes to just do anything and being homeless. You know, I was, when I got back, I had like four days, like I was saying, till I could get in. Yeah. And within that four days, I just said to heck with it. I'll just be homeless again. And the homelessness is what led me to my drinking again. Okay. Yeah. If I would have been stable, if I'd have been able to get in the shelter at that time, right out of rehab, I would have been able to stay sober. So you said you had to, you couldn't go back for four days because the shelter, you have to be out. 60 what? days. But I had gotten thrown out January 16th for drinking in okay. the shelter. Let's go, let's go back. Like, how did you get introduced to alcohol and all that stuff? First of all, how old are you right now? I'm 55. 55. And I started drinking probably when I was mid-teens. Mid-teens. 16, 15, 16, 17. Just out of curiosity, just going to parties and stuff or did the you... alcohol was in the house was in the house now my parents weren't per se alcoholics but they drank every day okay but it was just a couple mixed drinks but see that's where it goes it was just a couple it's really not about that it was every day and whether their doctor or their friends or whatever but it was you know in in my parents age it was common for everybody to just drink yeah. To have a mixed drink. In mine too. Have a mixed drink or something. It was just common, but they didn't have 10 of them. That's the difference. And so I watched them drink. So the alcohol was always there. Right. I never saw them drunk. I never saw them like under the influence. I never saw them act any different. Gotcha. But like I said, the alcohol was there. So that's where I took probably my first drink. And it stayed there. Even after they knew I was drinking. It stayed there and it stayed there and it stayed there. And... I just got wrapped up. When did you start realizing it was probably a problem? Definitely before I was 20. Before you were 20. Yep. So you started when? What age you About, said? I'd say before I was 18. So 16, 17, 18. But I was full-blown alcoholic between 18 and 20. How would you distinguish that? How would you consider yourself full-blown? Like, Was it an event? or? Well, I went from... No, I went from just drinking here and there to I was drinking every day drinking to go to sleep waking up drinking taking alcohol to work with me hiding it so I could drink and that's where the alcoholism gets kind of defined okay where you are no longer just like go to a party and get drunk and then you don't do it for a month mm -hmm. I did it every day it just was a lifestyle that's what I did until I was 23 did you recognize you had a problem back then? Would you mm -hmm. self-admit if someone asked mm -hmm. you, would you say I'm an alcoholic? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I don't, I, I'm accountable for everything. So I, I take 
accountability for all my actions. I don't have a problem with that. A lot of people would say, oh, no, somebody did this to me or I was I was this or, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not going to get into details about it. But <clears throat> you can make all the excuses you want. Um, but you're the only one lifting whatever you're drinking and picking it up or and putting it in your in your body. You know, nobody's forcing you to drink. They say it's easier to point the finger than point it at yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody wants to look in the mirror. Take full accountability. Yeah. And that's a lot of the problem. Um, they want to blame everybody else. And you get that narcissistic type personality where it's never their fault. I knew because I I knew because of all the problems I had for my drinking that it was because of what I did. Nobody else. That's cool. I was the one when I turned 21. I was the one going to the liquor store every day with my paycheck and buying a bottle, going home, drinking, and made sure I had enough when I woke up to drink again, enough to get me through the day at work, and then stop on the way home from work again and pick up another bottle. So you were functioning alcoholic. Right, for a long time, until, well, until I was 23. What happened at at 23? Um, I almost died from a heart attack. Really? Yeah, at work. Due to Um, drinking? What? Well, yes and no. It was actually because I quit. Um, For the first time in my life, my dad and I, I was 23, my dad and I got in some sort of big argument, and I basically packed all my stuff and moved out of the house. Like, on one of those just whim things, just like, you're being a real idiot type, you know, take 10, and I didn't. Moved everything out, moved in with a friend, and... They basically just destroyed everything I had, abused everything I had when I wasn't there. So within three days, um, I drank two fifths or five fifths of Yukon in like two days. Wow. And that was really bad. And um, so I had, but I had to crawl back home with all my stuff. So I left on Friday, came back on Sunday, basically. And um, I was so just disturbed from my dad, fighting with my dad, and also with my friends that I couldn't even drink. And so I went through DTs for five days, went back to work and- Went through what? DTs. What's that? Um, not sure the exact, it's it's uh, something tremors. You can, oh. It can kill you. Okay. DTs from, can kill you. Okay. And alcohol and benzos are the only things that you can die from, from withdrawal. No other drugs. We learned that. Yep. Yeah, just alcohol and benzos and, and benzos, react on your brain the same way alcohol does so um but anyways i went back to work and i was working in the rubicon building in york and it's kind of ironic the name but i went to, to the bar with everybody at work like we always did at lunch but i only drank coke that day so i drank like eight nine cokes and it was like for me that day it was 30 minutes instead of an hour and a half sitting there drinking. And that's what we did also. You know, the guys I worked with at that time, we went to bar and drank at lunch. I mean, at work. And it was acceptable. That's what you did. And I just drank that Coke that day and went back to work. And I was by myself. Nobody was back from lunch. And I was up, like, on the second floor, I remember. And my heart just started going crazy. And I started pounding on my chest, dropped to the floor. I remember being on the floor and some guy walked by out of just nowhere and was like, dude, are you all right? I'm like, no. I said, I can't get my stop heart to stop racing. And uh, he just like walked off and I'm just like, what's up? 
and all of a sudden before I know it the paramedics were there and everything and uh, they couldn't get a reading on my heart with the portable EKG it was that high so they got me to the hospital and by then my heart rate was still close to 500 beats per minute what's normal do you know um, about like 60 to 80 okay. at rest yeah. you know if you're in good shape you could be 60 easily like my resting heart rate is usually between 60 and 70 okay. and I'm 55 but anyways um, in the ambulance the guy the paramedics just he was actually head of cardiology he said if you were 10 years old you'd be dead so I proved him wrong on that because <laughs> uh, that happened three times more when I was in my late 30s really? not the same reason but but what the alcohol did the reason that happened though and this is what people don't understand is the alcohol strips your body of nutrients and basically I had no potassium and no magnesium in my body so when I drank all that caffeine there was nothing to stop my heart nothing it's interesting so not drinking almost killed me. <laughs> so, That's weird, ain't it? Yeah, yeah, but isn't that why sometimes if they go through the withdrawals, like they tell them that they have to drink, they can't just automatically stop? That's, uh, you should just quit. Um, but you should also have medical attention when you quit. You shouldn't sit at home and go cold turkey. I wouldn't recommend it either. I'd say wean off. If you don't want to go to rehab, you don't want to go to detox, you don't want to go to the hospital. Um, you, you almost have to wean off. You can't, I mean, if you're drinking a bottle a day, a fifth of whatever a day, you're not just going to quit. I don't care who you are. You're not going to quit and not feel sick. So you were in the liquor, not beer. Um, I, for a long time I was a liquor drinker and even still in the end, I, I prefer liquor. Um, like they say, I hate to say it, but like they say, liquor's quicker. It is, it is true. I, you know, yeah. and um, never sicker. When you're when you're homeless, um, it's easier to drink liquor than it is to drink beer because there's nowhere to go to the bathroom. So if you're drinking beer all day long, you got to find somewhere to go to the bathroom, and there's no bathrooms. I guess it's smaller and compact too. You don't got to carry all the cans with you. That too. That's it's easier, to, easier, to, easier to hide. Oh well, yeah, easier to hide. Yeah. Yeah, you just pour your vodka in a in a bottle. Yeah. Sit there. The cops even tell you that. Just pour your alcohol in a, in a cup. Then we won't just say anything to you. But it's, uh, but anyways, yeah. So I quit drinking at 23 for about eight years. And you got back into it. Yep. Any reason? Just. Yep. I told your mom, I think, last night. Did I tell you last night about it? Um, tell I me. met someone and I let her move in and. She was a drinker. I didn't really know she was drinking when I was dating her when she lived up the street. But I started finding, like, uh, pints and fifths of shops bottles empty around the house. And I'm like, so I confronted her, and she's like, yeah. I was like, well, you know what? Don't hide it, you know. I don't care if you drink. I'm sober, but I don't care if you drink. But what happened is it was around. And I was like, it's just schnapps. It's, it's not that high in alcohol, you know. It'll yeah. be all right. It's like drinking a beer or whatever. So I would do a shot or two. And, you know, honestly, within a couple months, I was just full bone again. Just right back at it. So, and that's how quick it can happen. And that's why they say the disease, even even drugs, is progressive. You know, it just yeah. steadily creeps up on you. And there's nothing you can do if you don't stop. So you started again. How long did you drink? I drank 
I drank into my mid thirties. So not real long. Cause then I ended up meeting another girl that I'd gone to high school with and I wouldn't drink and I wouldn't use marijuana like I used to, um, all the time. So I stopped even smoking marijuana. So I didn't drink around her. I didn't smoke until, and I was with her about four years until a friend of mine killed himself after I got off the phone with him. And that was my trigger. I went and just got drunk and that was it. It was drink, drink, drink. And I even went MIA at work. I had a big job I was doing at Harrisburg International Airport when they built it. And I just stepped out for about two weeks. Thank God when I went back, my boss was like, we need you instead of you fired. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's just, um, it could be a rough road. It's, it's not a lifetime e- battle for it you. It is. Yeah, for me it is. Yeah. What's it like talking about it, your past experiences? I don't mind. You don't mind sharing mm-hmm. it? No, he shared a lot. No, because I think my willingness to share comes also from having accountability um i think that has a lot to do with it because if if you're unwilling to talk about what you've been through what you've done and all that chances are you're still blaming somebody else and when you know that it's just you that's doing it you know at least for me i don't mind talking about it it doesn't really bother me you know um the only thing that bothered me about doing this is just that I never did it. Yeah. It's not Honestly, bad, right? No. Okay. No, not at all. No, because it's no different than just sitting here and talking without all this electronic mm-hmm. stuff. Yep. So, I mean, it's really no different. Mm-hmm. But no, I don't mind. I mean, I, I could walk right out here and if some stranger heard me talking, then I would talk to him. Wouldn't bother me a bit. And that's how you talk to me. And honestly, that week that you came back, I think you were drunk at that point. <laughs> Probably. But you you were upset, and I was apologizing for making you upset. Well, and that's when your other friend was there. I was and he's pro- like, he's I was, okay. I'm, I was probably upset because I was really mad at myself because mm-hmm. I failed. I let myself fail because, and the reason I failed that time is I was either too proud or scared which do the same thing when you need to go find out something and ask something. And I could have just called Life Path and said, look, I know I have four days, but can I get in? I just got back from rehab. Here's my, you know, whatever my thing I got um, that shows that I was there for 34 days. And I didn't, you know, because I got thrown out. I was like, I had my own stigma about my own life. You know, you're talking about the stigma, sounds mm-hmm. of stigma, but I, I was doing it to myself. I was literally living taking my life and everything I know about everything that I've been through like this stuff we're talking about and then I was just applying it to myself then so I was just beating myself down and just not picking up the phone or just knocking on the door there and say hey can I get in I just got out of rehab instead I just crawled under a bridge what kind of things would you tell yourself basically stigma what kind of stigma would you tell yourself the same stuff I think that people that say about other people i was oh well you can't go back because you were you're a drunk and or you were drinking in life path you know you're a loser because you couldn't even stay sober there you got caught drinking or you're not supposed in it just the same you know i basically was ridiculing myself just punishing myself and it was honestly 
just like I told you, it was just being selfish. And I don't, I don't, and I think it was selfish for my, just my selfish of my feelings. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna be proud. <laughs> You're not, you know, I'll wait that four days and that four days broke me. When you get to a dark place like that, how do you find yourself getting back out? Uh, it's a lot different, like in the last two and a half months yeah. than it was then. And like, I, I always try to be positive. I try not to find any dark places. And I always believe there's light somewhere. I just, I truly do. Um, I heard a quote one time, and uh, I think Kevin Hart might have said it. But he says, you have to defeat uh, negativity with reinforced positivity. It's, it, it's really cool that you said that because I was just talking to you last night about taking, I take my negative. If anything, whenever I feel negative or something bad happens, I try to take all that energy because you're going to spend that energy somehow. Mm-hmm. You're gonna you can either flip out, punch a wall, break a door, go out, drive your car like an idiot, hit a tell, whatever. Yeah. Just take your negative energy and just use it in the wrong way. I try to take that negative energy even when I'm drinking, anytime. It's just the way I am, I guess, who I am, and just try and make it a positive energy. It's like, what do I get out of failing? I'm gonna go walk or whatever, just something good for me even though I might still be drinking. I think it's good for people to listen and hear that, hear that I, message. I just, I, I just, I, I just really think it's senseless. You're going to spend that energy somehow. Yeah. You, so you can either beat yourself down. It's like spending money. You're going to spend it for good or good or bad. Exactly. And you know, if you, if, if you're negative and you're going to apply all that energy in a negative way, you're probably going to do something stupid and something you're going to regret. So now you're going to use energy up the next day, the day after that, the day after that, and it's still all negative energy instead of waking up the next day and going, that's cool. I was, I did good yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a good walk or, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm not saying that I can always do that. I'm not saying I don't get yeah. upset, but I truly just try to not let negative emotions and stuff like that affect me. I, I just, even when I drank, but in the end there with the progressive part of the disease, and what we never got to talk about with you, Austin, yet is how bad I was getting. Like, just, in, like, she saw me go from good to bad in, like, a week. Like, really, like, night and day for her. Um, but I would do that, like, so often, and it just kills you. You know, it's just, and... Um, but that's an experience, too. Because you were so bad that day, and then another friend of yours came to me and I'm like I'm so sorry like I didn't mean to upset Alan and he said don't worry about it and then that's when you came to me and I tried to make some phone calls right I remember and and then you said to me I'm not ready and I said okay so give me your phone number that's how I got your phone number I'm like give me your phone number because you can call me if you need this number and I will give him a number I was I had a number for somebody that could help him that day and come and pick him up at that point but he wasn't ready and he admitted to me like i'm not ready i'm gonna go over here and i have a beer and i'm gonna drink that beer and i was like that's cool like no judgment i just said if you need it if you need my phone number like i have a connection and i can get you help and they'll pick you up right away and that's how i got the phone number yep speaking of those numbers i think we need to post them on our group so that people will know 
and have that at fingertips in case they need yeah, it. Yeah, I think we need to get a group, but the number that I had is a personal phone number to somebody. Oh, okay. And he shared numbers with me, but I don't know who they're. I can't give his number out, but I can give numbers that he shared with me. I can reach out to him and ask him for those phone numbers because he was very helpful that day. I mean, I called him right away. He responded right away. And Alan just said I wasn't ready. I didn't judge. I said, okay, when you're ready, let me know if I can help you in any way. But you talk about homelessness. Those people were so supportive of you that day. Like, it's like a family. And they do support and just what I see in my vision. I don't know. Yeah, from your experience. From my experience. You're not actually you, in it. I'm so not in it. A lot so. of us do, but so many don't. And uh, that's where, like, even the good that we do, nobody sees it. And if they see it, they don't, nothing gets said about it because we're homeless. Or we were, I was homeless. But still, I consider myself homeless. I don't care. I don't have my own home yet, so I'm still homeless, even though I have a place to live. So you have a bed. Yeah, but, um, you know, you don't see the good. And if you do see it, you don't pass it on. And I don't mean you. I just, and I, when I say you, I just kind of mean like. In general. The people, yeah, people. The they, public. Yeah, um. Because there's a lot of good homeless people out there. We don't know that. Yeah. Austin and I just learned this. There's no need to be scared of them. I mean, we're we're all in the same boat. You know, we're all in the same situation. Like, every, I've never been stolen from by a homeless person. I've never been hit, abused, anything like that. I've never been taken advantage of. Um, so, and that's not what I see. And I've been around. I get around. I don't hang out with just one little group here. And that's my clique. No. I involve myself with every group in there, everybody that's mm-hmm. homeless in York. I don't care who you are. You know, you're you're homeless. You need something, you know. But you and didn't sl- So you slept under the bridge. Yeah, I slept under a bridge. It was a nice bridge, though. <laughs> but it wasn't. You didn't sleep with the group. So no, I, I, I did my I did my thing alone, and I when I was homeless in 2018, I did me again. I did me. But I had the colostomy then, so that's a whole different story. Yeah. We'll do another podcast on that. <laughs> He's we'll had do a an, lot of We'll do another podcast on the homelessness in 2018. Yeah, that's different. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole, and... that's a whole other story. I mean, it's... Um, because back then, the alcohol didn't quite play the role it did now. Um, and I don't know why. I mean, I don't know why I get so bad sometimes. I just know I can't do it at all anymore. Period. I can't. And that's key to recognize, because some people say, "Well, I can have a little." I I know somebody who was sober. Um, drugs was his addiction, um, but he drinks now, and that scares me. Yeah. Um, and a friend of mine I was talking to the other night. Her son is an alcoholic. And he quit drinking, but she said, "Well." She said, he does drink a beer here and there. I was like, he's not going to make it. She's like, why? He only, you know, it's only like every couple of days, three days. I was like, yeah, until he has a really bad day at work or whatever. And he gets pissed off or upset about something. And now the beer is already there in front of him available. And he's not going to stop at one. Now you're drinking again. And that's how it works. You, if, if, if you're an alcoholic, you just, you can't, there's, I don't care who you are. And anybody can 
I'll give my phone number out for that. You can call and say, oh, yeah, yeah. I can still drink. I'm, a, I'm an alcoholic. I, then why are you still drinking? Quit. If, you're, if it doesn't do anything to you and you say you drink, then quit. Then you can say you're not, you, you don't drink. I mean, but to say, yeah, I'm an alcoholic and I, used to, I drink all this. Now I only drink a couple beers a day. I'm, I'm fine. I won't have a problem. I guarantee 99.9% of those people are going to have a problem sooner or later. It's, it's bound to happen. You just you either eliminate it or it's there. It's as simple as that. I, I don't care. 40 years of this and nobody's going to tell me any different. <laughs> I don't care who they are. You know, I'm sorry. It's your experience. I'm it's sorry. Your experience. I just, so... And I've been around a lot of people in 40 years that drink and use drugs. So, And not one of them stay clean or sober if they haven't been abstinent it just doesn't happen so you're 80 i think it's today you're 80 days 79 oh, today's 79. 79 since the well easter was technically my last day that i drank so how ironic is that i, I know that and i'm really upset yeah, well, that that whole Easter thing kind of has me screwed up now. So what? Because I sent that. So no, the whole thing that you sent it, and also everything that I felt about Easter, because of me being born on Easter, my dad being born on Easter, my dad dying on Easter, and basically I didn't even know it was Easter that Sunday, and I laid under that bridge and I prayed to God like I never prayed before, and I said, "Look, I can't do this. I'm gonna die." I'm dying. And um, Monday morning, I woke up and crawled out front of that bridge. I went to Life Path and got in. And within five days of my birthday on the 10th, I had a job. A couple hours later, I ran into the people I know from my home church. Now I'm back in my home church. And since then, everything has been going just outstanding. But I didn't know your mom sent the message on Easter. So and I still never read it. I can't now because I got rid of that number. So what's weird is for the listeners, I I connect with people. Uh, Randy was on the podcast and I have his phone number and I had Alan's phone number and he was in really bad shape that day that I saw him and then his friend came back a couple weeks later and I said, hey, I just was curious, like, how's your friend Alan doing? And he said, he's all right. And so Easter, I just went flipping through my phone and I just sent, and I did it on Father's Day too to some people that like, and I just said, happy Easter to him. I just sent the text message. Like I didn't really know him, but I had his phone number and I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to say happy Easter just because they always say if somebody can make a comment, it could like even to say hello to somebody <laughs> Yeah, yeah. walking down the street, it might just make their day. And that's why, you know, and just so I said, I said, this happy Easter and yeah. I met up with him again when I was picking Randy up, I couldn't find Randy. And so I went to the bench and I saw Alan there and I was glad to see him and he was doing better. And we had a nice talk and I forget what you said. And I said, well, yeah, I sent you a happy Easter. And you didn't respond and he didn't believe me. So I had to get my phone out and show him that I literally said happy Easter and then we just start talking after that, like. But yeah, Easter, without me knowing it, that's what was really weird about it. Because now, now I can think back, and I'm like, 
for me being born on Easter, my dad on Easter, dying on Easter, that's to me, that's, I mean, everybody, some, a lot of people be like, wow, he was born and died on Easter. But I think that's an honor for God to take him on Easter, bring him here on Easter and take him on Easter. Mm-hmm. That's doesn't get any better than that. But so I when after I got to think about it, my head cleared over the last month or so, or so I've been thinking about it. It's like now Easter is like, yeah, God is working. God did do something for me. And I'm never going to deny that. You know, and every day I thank God. Every day I thank God for a beautiful day. I don't care if it's rain or snow or whatever. I say thank you, God, for a wonderful day. Every day. And I tell him I can't do this without him. I can't. There's just no way. Yeah, it's powerful. It is powerful. And, and we took a walk yesterday. Mm-hmm. Twice. Yesterday. Um, we walked through Cherry Lane and we walked and everybody says hi to Alan. Everybody says hi, and he says hi back, and it's you, a good you, feeling. Yeah, and, and people it, just know you, and they know that you're sober right now, and they still yeah, talk. We met a nice guy Sunday downtown. Yeah, you guys helped us with tearing some boxes down and spend some time with Mike. <laughs> but yeah, but we had a good time. It's the energy you're giving off. Yeah, it's the positive energy, and your friend Mike. Yeah. super nice yeah he's a great guy my brother oh. he's like a brother yeah he's like a brother from yeah. another and mother. i don't and i don't have i mean i have two brothers but they're not like brothers so mike's more of a brother than anything i mean he cares about me he calls me talks to me once now i'm doing searches me out now comes down to work says hello and yeah this isn't mike feeding yeah, like this I mean, is a different right. mike so yeah he's a good good guy and i'm glad he got sober because i was encouraging him to get into life path even though I knew I was leaving um, to move on to better things, um, I wanted him in there so he could get sober like I did. And, you know, one nice thing about being in Life Path is that you have to stay sober. I so, mean, Life Path, explain a little bit about what that it's is. It's Life Can Path anybody... Christian Ministries, and it's a men's shelter, but there's also Life Path Christian Ministries women's shelter, but it's in two different locations. Okay. One's on, the women's is on Jefferson right above George Street okay. and the men's shelter is at 367 West Market Street and anybody can go in there or is it just anybody can go in there that has ID that proves that they're local you can't have say Maryland ID you can't get in um, now say you move here and you have a now state ID but you can prove that you say lived on Philadelphia Street for two years you just never got your ID or whatever they'll probably let you in but typically, you can't just show up. And see, there's there's the problem, okay? Here's where you end up with a lot of homeless people in York. Half of them aren't from York. You know? And a lot of them come here because we have a very large amount of recovery houses, halfway houses, whatever, sobriety houses, whatever you want. It's the capital in it's Pennsylvania. It's York. huge. So that's why a lot of homeless come here. And if they don't make it, there because they relapse they're homeless now they're from another state or another city or and they can't get into a shelter because they don't have local id Mm -hmm. or they can't prove they're local they're still homeless they're still bleed they bleed the same as you and me i don't care if you're from maryland new jersey baltimore wherever it's like come on you're going to tell this person when it's 20 degrees out and it's snowing that you can't come in and stay in the shelter because you don't have local ID. I don't get that. And that's 
That's part of why that, we're here today. That's one of the things I'm going to start working Mike on. Mike wants to work on that. Alan wants to I work mean, on. Mike. Yeah, Alan. Oh, my God. Yeah, that part don't get screwed up. It, this is this is Alan. This is Alan's work. Now. Alan's work. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. But he's passionate about it. Yeah. And he's working on some projects that we're gonna try to. Yeah. Work Fox Forty Three News is involved. Really? Yeah. That's cool. I met through the work I do down at the market at the corner cabinet. Gotta put that in there, right? Yeah, you can gotta put come, that. gotta yeah. come eat at the corner cabinet. Best, <laughs> best food in New York. But um, I forgot what I was gonna say. That's so, your that's... yeah. Like, what's your what's your goal? What's your goal now? My well, my goal is to. Or what's your dream? Or... Okay, what? Well, I guess what I was getting at is, I still forget. But what? I, oh, with the with the market, the newscaster. Yeah. I met a newscaster and a producer from Fox Forty Three. And I talked to them after they were done eating about doing a, if they'd be interested in doing a story on homelessness in New York. And they said yes. So I think yesterday or the day before? Yesterday. Yesterday I reached out, sent her a text, and she got right back to me. She's like, I'm so glad you got back to me. Let's do this. I was like, I just don't know how to format something like this to do a story. She's like, you need two advocates, two people who are in recovery like yourself. And another person who's who needs recovery or needs who's homeless but needs help. So you know, and so that group, I guess that's how they'll structure their story. That's awesome. So that's my that's my goal, short term goal. And then my other goal is obviously, like your mom was telling you before we came on here, is to be a motivational speaker, which I've been wanting to do probably for ten years now. Just go around and share your story. Yeah. And, and maybe not even all the just the story, but just life. Shoot like, us some uh, motivational stuff. Huh? What, do you, what do you got? Oh, uh, that's not right now. <laughs> no, <laughs> not right now. I'm in the motivational stuff. I listen to it a lot. Yeah. Um. I, like if it would be like just sitting like this, I think it would have to be kind of targeted. Okay. So I need like a a kick towards something. I got you. I got you. You know, and it's like be I don't a part have a story or something. Yeah, and a little like she like your mom said. That I don't need to structure it, but I do want to structure it because mm-hmm. I want to. St- I'm. I kind of like you've seen that. I lose my train of thought. I just start talking, and it's kind of like comedians. They know what they're kind of going to go into. Yeah, about yeah, and they can change it up if they want yeah. to. Because it's even if you could have ten different formats, and then you can co-mingle them too. Yeah. But if you have nothing, you're just kind of talking. Shoot, yeah, but for motivational speaking, yes. But for this podcast, if you oh, had an agenda pod- right now, you would be... If- oh, no. This- I'm talking motivational speaking. Yeah, motivational yeah, no, speaker. no. Yeah, this, this right here, I don't need anything. It's yeah, just yeah, yeah. right off my head. That's fine because it's conversational. Yep. And see, that's almost how I'd like to structure my motivational speaking sessions is actually have it more conversational. Like, let them ask questions. Let them start it. Let them get it going. And then you go from there. Gotcha. So everyone would be different because you don't know what that crowd wants to be motivated to do. And that's part of it. You can't go in and tell the same story to every single crowd and expect every single person to agree or even get it, depending on where they're from, what age group. You know, like I wouldn't talk to seven and eight or seventh and eighth graders the same as I would to college students or maybe adults like your mom was saying at AA meetings or whatever. You know, it's just, the way you talk to people is also important. 
but yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I want to do. I've been wanting to do the motivational speaking for a long time, but I've let um, things get in the way, and typically that's the alcohol. Yeah. You know, that's all. If I mean, if I look back at my life, everything that I've ended up not having is because of alcohol, or losing everything is because of alcohol. Everything. Everything negative in my life is due to alcohol. So to someone that is an alcoholic or I guess I don't, I don't know if you would cons- if they so someone that's an alcoholic, what kind of advice would you give to them to either make them realize that they are an alcoholic or something that they can do a small step or something like that to step in the right direction of maybe changing? Um, there's kind of a lot of answers to that, but I guess to make it like simple, like for me, I would tell them, look, if you either know you have a drinking problem or you don't, I mean, it's, it's pretty cut and dry. I mean, if you drink a beer once every three, 30 days, chances are you're not an alcoholic, but if you're drinking two, three beers every single day and you're saying, oh, well, that's what I do when I get home from work, I do it every night. That's why that and the part of it is that's what I do when I get home from work. So you're making it part of your life to drink. Like you look forward to the drink. Like, yeah, I have I get a case every week and that gives me my beers every every evening. And it's like now you're doing that for years all the time. It in my mind, that's an alcoholic. Because they it sounds like that's an excuse to drink. Like that's I that's after a hard day's work I drink. Mm. Well, why do you have to drink? Do you? I mean, because you want to alter the way you feel. And it, the bottom line is, when you drink or use drugs, you're altering the way you feel. So but what well, about that person that says I just like to drink? Like I don't drink to get drunk. I just I like the taste of it, and that's what oh I like come to on. Do. How many do you? How many I'm just asking. How many, I don't know anybody that says they don't get drunk, but they like the taste of alcohol. I'm sorry. Okay. I, no, I'm just saying. So I, I know. I, I, you would say probably like self-awareness would be the first thing. Self-awareness, Being yeah. Aware. I mean, and honestly, I, I mean, I'm coming from where I come from. I, in yeah, my yeah. mind. I, this is all your experience. It, everybody is different. I mean, so many people are in denial. You know, so you're not going to get somebody who drinks a sick pack a day to say, no, I don't have a problem. I only drink six. So what's what's wrong with the part of I only drink six? Can't you drink one <laughs> or none? Because that's, if you only drink six, then it's like, yeah, I already had six. I can drink a seventh. Now you drink seven mm-hmm. or eight. Well, it was the weekend. Now you got another excuse. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, I got you. I got you. Any type of any type of drug use or alcohol use like that always comes with excuses or reasons. And that's what I was getting at. The well, after work type. It's a reason why you drink. You're giving it a reason. You know, like. You were saying, Kathy, about, well, I like the taste of alcohol. Well, if you like the taste of alcohol that much, you're probably getting drunk. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but... I don't now like taste I, of alcohol, but... Now, I do know people that have a glass of wine every day at dinner. They say it's beneficial to your health, actually. Yeah, and, and that's, that's okay. Yeah. But if you're having four or five glasses of wine maybe two or three nights and then one or two the other you're still going excessive in that pack i don't know i look at it i guess from a lot of perspectives because i've just 
done this unfortunately for too long. Yeah. You know, 40 years of battle on this. I've just seen so many things. He heard so many excuses out of my own mouth and everything that we're all saying here is pretty much everything I said. Well, I worked really hard. I worked all week. I, I'm, you know, I'm drinking this weekend. Why does working hard mean you have to become intoxicated? Now you can't do anything because you're a piece of crap for two days. Mm. Then you go back to work and you're like, oh man, I'm really hungover. I, you know, I, I got to yeah. go to the gym. No, you got to quit. <laughs> no, you got to quit drinking. And you'll feel a lot. And maybe it's not true for everybody. And I don't want to like have a bunch of people out there going, this guy's a real jerk. No. But no. I'm just keeping it real. I'm sorry. I mean, 40 years of it. I don't know anybody that can that can drink every single day and say they don't have a problem. I'm sorry. I just, I don't believe that. Unless you're only drinking like one glass of wine or something. And usually those people I know are like 80 or 90. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and they've been doing it for 70 years, you know, but, <laughs> but I don't know. It's, you know, So yeah, self self awareness. Yeah, self awareness is the is the start. I mean, it it's the same. It's the first step of AA. You know, it's admitting that admitting you your life problem. is unmanageable and that you're powerless. And and if if the only thing that's on your mind at two thirty is I gotta get to the liquor store or I gotta get to the beer distributor, you get off at nine o'clock. You're like, man, they close at nine thirty. I gotta get there. And it's driving you to, to leave work early or not finish your job properly because you got to get to that liquor store. you got to get to that beer distributor. you should got beer or liquor tonight. Like, are you going to die without it? And most people are going to be like, yeah. I'm sorry. It's true. No, I appreciate and, your honesty and it's your opinion. And, and if they say, oh, good. no, I'll be all right. Then why were you flipping out for two hours? Like, I got to, we got to get out of here early tonight. You know, we got to get yeah. done, get done, you know, and they're driving. If you're a supervisor or a manager, you're driving everybody else to get done because your agenda is you need your alcohol so you can go to sleep tonight. It's real. I had a long day. It happens. I had a long day. I need to go get my liquor. I, I've been there. I've, I've said it. I've said it. I've used every one of those excuses, every single one of them. So I don't want to hear it from anybody. <laughs> so if, if self-awareness is the first step, what kind of steps can they take to... See, there's where, there's, here's where a lot of the problems start with getting help. Because, especially, at least around here, like in a lot of cities I hear about, you can just make a phone call like that and you can get help. Around here, there's no, nobody knows what phone number to call. And you call one place, they're like, oh, you need to call this place. You call them, you're like, oh, you need to call this place. You call that place, they're like, it's the same person you just talked to. That's very true. Yeah, and you get you get run around in circles, and a lot of people just say, "Screw this, I'm just gonna go get drunk, or I'm I'm just gonna go get some meth. Screw this, I don't need rehab. I'll just go get another bag, or whatever." And that's honestly, as soon as you get put off or you get turned off from the help, you're right back at it until you're in the hole again. If you, especially if you're having a good few days, like ah, I've been all right. I've only drank a few beers in the last week. You know, I'm doing pretty good. And, I'm going to go to rehab. I'm gonna, and then you start making the phone calls because you're doing good and you just can't get in anywhere because you don't know who to call and they keep running around. You're like, ah, screw this. I'm going to get drunk. 
And I believe that education, I mean, to Austin's know. point about putting numbers out there, like yeah, there's I there's plenty of resources around. There's tons of resources, but nobody knows how to track them down. There's plenty of help out there, everywhere. Even for me, it was hard to get in. I couldn't even get in White Deer Run. I was in the hospital for 17 days because the hospital would not let me go until they had a place for me. They were like, you're not going to be homeless again. The hospital kept me. They didn't have to keep me. They kept me in the hospital for nine days and then moved me to the rehabilitation hospital, Wellspan, up there by Apple Hill for another seven days. So I was in there like 16, 17 days. Just waiting for a bed. At a rehab or we, detox? Because you were detoxed in the hospital. Detox? Yeah, I was detoxed by then. So okay. after 16 days, I'm pretty sober. Um, so they were trying to get me a place, and they couldn't. And um, I ended up just being homeless again then, too. I mean, they put me in a hotel, I think, for a couple of days, and somebody helped pay for a few days and this and that. And But, you know, it's just... Even they couldn't get me in somewhere. A medical facility couldn't find me a bed. And that's the thing. And some of the stories I read, if, if you want help, like the day I met you and you were in bad shape, I knew if you really wanted help, I had to find somebody to get you that point because you're ready. And so many times I hear stories that when you're ready at that point right. and somebody tells you, well, you got to wait. And I heard a father speaking um, somewhere I was. I don't remember where. And he cried because he said, my daughter was ready at that point. And they said, two days. So she decided that second day before she could get in that she was going to get high one more time. And she oh. died. <laughs> when she was ready two days before that, if somebody could have put her in a yep. bed at that minute that she was yep. ready, she may or may not be here today. But she lost that chance because we had to wait two days. And I, I'll never forget that story. And it's true. I can say from my experience recently, though, that if you need help and you can't find it, just call 911 and tell me you need an ambulance. Just go to the hospital and let them sort it out there. Seriously. Because if you're that bad, you're going to be there three, four, five days. They're going to detox you in the hospital. Under. So that's good for the listeners to hear. Everybody so. can call 911. Anybody can call 911 and say, I need an ambulance. I did it. You know... It's embarrassing, just but one of the examples of when I had to call the ambulance um, before I went to rehab, because I had to call after also. <laughs> um, I was just walking back to the bridge and I lost my bowels and then peed myself too. Just walking, just like out of nowhere. Just like I didn't even feel like I had to go. Just so I just sat down in the grass, called 911. I said, I need help. And I was in the hospital. And you call an ambulance, they're going to come at least pick you up. I mean, and that's a start right there, just mm -hmm. getting picked up, you know. And so many times I've just called the ambulance, said, I need help. I, you know, it, if it's just for 18 hours or 24 hours, I can't do this. And they'll come pick you up, all right, at least go in and get off the street for a day at least and see what they can do for you, me. A lot of it, it depends on your insurance too, and that's another that's problem. Terrible. You know, I couldn't get in White Deer Run here in York because my insurance was out of Maryland. So now I'm like locked out of Pennsylvania. So don't even think about Pennsylvania. So all these people are trying to help me are trying to call Maryland, 
and now you're talking about transportation because you're in Pennsylvania. And so I ended up, thank God, going to Bowling Green, Brandywine, out towards Philly, which was part of White Deer Run. I don't know why they paid for it, but they covered my Maryland insurance. And that was where I tried to start saving my life. Um, re- everybody wants to say about rehab this. I loved rehab. I loved it. Um, but I worked it. You know, and that's yeah, I'm reading. It's an example of what I gave me. her. Um, you know, I did. I tried to do everything I was supposed to do and really put myself into it. Where so many, I was telling your mom, so many people have a folder like that. Everything's empty. It's blank. Every worksheet's blank. So you just throw everything away. I brought everything home. And now I'm sharing it. And that was the whole, that's, this is part of the whole thing, is giving back. You know, everything that I wrote down out of my head and my heart, whether it pertains to them or not, it's got to mean something to someone. Um, And I didn't, I mean, I never did this stuff that she's looking at with any anticipation of what, of letting her look at it. Yeah. It's just, it came my way, and I'm like, this might help her. This might help. And um, so, I, you know, as soon as I got it back, I only got it back the other night, I brought it to her the next day. It's like, I want to share this with you. And she was like, what do you want to share with me? And you were, <laughs> you were almost kind of snippy when you said that. She walked over, she's like, so what do you want to share with me? <laughs> I, I was, was kind of like... That's Man, not true. That's, that's not true. Not Get like that. Like, I didn't. I know. I, I was I, giving peanut butter and jelly out, and you came over and interrupted my, my... You know I'm, like, in trouble if I don't oh, do yes, it, right? That's right. I did interrupt you. I do get in trouble, while you, were at you work. Know, while I was at work. Yeah. Mike gets <laughs> if, on If you. we get behind on the bags and the wrapping of the chicken, we get in I'm trouble. Sure. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing to show me? So, anyways, that's what I gave yeah. her. And I'm reading it, and it's very interesting and helpful. So, I think it'll help. I'm glad that you came tonight. Yeah, appreciate um, you coming. To talk about it. Oh, anytime. Um, it's been helpful. It's going to help somebody. You said, you know, you want to give back. And even if one person hears this, even if one person's in trouble, and now they know they can call an ambulance and, and get help. Yeah, or, I mean, it's... And or that's, see, that's, that it, they can stop. And I hate... I, I hate to say it, but everybody, pretty much everybody I know out there that's homeless has a cell phone. Yes. Especially with all the, you know, the government phones, the easy availability of getting a government phone these days. And that's another thing. If these people are listening, don't have a phone, don't know how to get a lifeline. I mean, it's free through the government, you know. And if you're homeless and you're a drug and alcoholic, drug user, alcoholic, chances are you don't have enough money to pay for a phone bill. Or go get a phone. But that's funny you say that because it's a government phone. Because how right. many people downtown say, isn't that ironic? They don't have anywhere to sleep, but they all have cell phones. I know. That's part of my thing, too. And a lot of them, they're not government phones. They're paying or somebody's paying. Okay. You know, and, and that's another thing. You know, That's part of the stigma is you do have some homeless people down there that don't need to be homeless. They just want to be homeless, but they could go home anytime they want. And okay. that's, that's, you know, that's where you kind of start getting crowds of different people not liking each other because they're like, oh, well, you go home every night, but you come out and hang with us all day long mm-hmm. in the homeless mode. 
but you go home while we sleep under the bridge or in the woods or in the dirt or whatever, you know? So you were homeless, but you still talk to those, to, sure, to those people don't because care. you don't care, but are they happy for you or are they? I've never, I've never had anybody come to me, especially recently and not be like, we're so happy that you're, okay. you're well. So they do appreciate they and they care yep. and see that's another thing that people don't understand is just because we're homeless or they're they're homeless I keep saying I, I put me in there I don't care because um, I'm not ashamed or or you know whatever um but it it doesn't matter it you know it I'll I'll involve myself in anybody that's out there. It, and I don't care if you go home at night or not. You know, if you want to be around us and that's who you want to be around, then that's fine. If they're we're your friends or whatever. But most people, nobody out there, even people I still I just meet, treat me that way, with respect, and they care. And they're like, you know, I've got people that always come up to me like, "You're looking really good. So proud of you." And you know, people come into work now and just like pop their head in like hey Alan how you doing just like out of the blue and it's like that makes you feel so Mm -hmm. good and the thing I realized this time though is everything that I see and I get from this and I hate to say this because it's not what I usually do but it's because of me this time I'm the one that made the choice to live simple as that under that bridge on Easter April 4th it was either live or die it was that close and um, I just don't want to see anybody ever have to get to that point. I mean, it was bad. It was really bad. So, okay. like, just living under the bridge that one day is another podcast. It's that's how intensely disturbing it was. It was just, it was really bad. And we do multiple podcasts with people. People come back. There's a lot to learn. Well, I don't mind sharing. So, I mean. Okay. It's what I want to do. I, you know, I, I even see new homeless people, and my instant feeling is, are they all right? You know, like I saw this girl, and like half her, te- almost her teeth on the ones side of her mouth were missing. So, she, obviously, she probably got beat or something. Somebody down the road, but she's homeless, and just out of the blue, she's there, and now she's like, and she's dressing like kind of scantly. And she's walking around to all the older guys. And it's kind of like, you're going to get in trouble. Like, and, and my heart was just like, I want to go up to her and say, hey. And then I thought, no, because if I do that for her, then I'm going to want to do it for everybody. And it was going to involve getting food maybe for buying stuff and I was just like nope just don't do it and I felt bad about that in my heart I felt really bad in my head too it's just and I had to tell myself no because I can't do everything for everyone and just because you show up at my doorstep and I don't mean it like that but just (laughs) and you knock on my door doesn't mean I'm going to have something for you Mm -hmm. It, it really doesn't work that way you know and so many people go out there expecting to be given stuff or where why isn't there food or and unfortunately, those people who help with the food are going, why are you homeless? And that's where you get more battle. You know, yeah, you're helping these people, but you're still questioning why they're homeless. So why are you helping? And I'm guilty of that. When no, I you're first, not. When I, not now. 
But when I first started, I'm 100% guilty of that. Austin and I were giving out coats, and we were shocked that they were saying, I don't like that coat. And we're thinking to ourselves, you should be appreciative. We're giving you a coat. Hey, I'm, and on, so, I'm on board with that no, feeling, too. No, but we too. learned. But we learned. But, we but see, I'm not, I wasn't like that because, I. well, you know what? I'll, I'll take that back. I wouldn't say I wasn't like that. I wouldn't express myself like that. If I saw something I didn't like, see, for me, getting something on the street, or at a church or something, I only took what I needed mm-hmm. and whatever would work. I don't care what color it is. Is it functional? Can I carry it? Can I pack it? You know, I don't want some huge parka in the middle of winter and then it's warm for a week and you live out of a backpack and that parka now takes up three-fourths of your backpack because it's so big. If it was warm. It's not doing anything for you now but weighing you down. So if for me, I always just got stuff that was functional. But, but do you agree? I'm speaking for myself. Oh, I know. I was judgmental. I just was uneducated. Like but I, I, I know that I know what you're talking about when people are just like, oh, well, you know, I don't like that. It's just like, but I like it now because now they're expressing who they are. And it was explained right. to us that day. And we we're like, okay, I get it. And the more that I went, the more I tried to understand and I understand now. You know, I'm not down there to judge. And right, but but like you were saying, there are there still are people, even if they're homeless or whatever, still expect more than what they're able to get. They think they deserve more. I should say it's called entitlement. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, you know, just because the coat's green and you don't like green doesn't mean the coat's not going to work for you. And if you're going to leave it, or, and some people will take stuff just because, oh, I need a coat. And they take it. And then like three days later, you're like, where's your coat? Oh, I lost, I, somebody stole it. I'm like, how did somebody steal your coat? Well, it was in a bag and I put it, hid it under a bush. You know, it was there a couple of days. I figured it'd be all right. And I went back and somebody stole it. I'm like, nobody stole it. They found it. Because you just left it. Okay. They found it. Did you put like a no trespassing sign or call this number if you find my bag? I mean, come on. And it's with cell phones all the time in Cherry Lane. People plug their phones in, hide them up in the flower bed. Like you can't see the cord coming out of the flower bed going down to the outlet. Now you got to climb a tree. And then go for a two to four hour drug search or an alcohol run. They come back and their phone's gone. They flip out because somebody stole their phone. No. Somebody found your phone. (laughs) You left left your phone lay for four hours, dude. Somebody found your phone. Now, me, I wouldn't take somebody's phone because I know it's not mine. If it's not mine, I don't take it. And that's where these lines get so skewed. That's my personal thing. If it's not mine, I don't touch it, period. I just, like... Even walk down the street, I see somebody's trash. Like, I'm not touching their trash either. It's not mine. I'm not touching it. You know, you could... Now, if there's a $20 bill laying out there, <laughs> I'm sorry. I might pick that up. But it's not yours. But if, like, I walked by a bench and somebody's phone was laying there, I mean, I if I do pick it up, I'm either going to call the police or I'm going to go to Life Path and see if somebody's there that lost it. Because chances are you know where these people hang out. Or okay. or kind of... You get to somebody, usually, typically, depending on where in the city. So, but I would never take somebody's stuff. You know, that's just... That's all they have. You know, if somebody... My backpack was my life. 
literally my life. And if somebody would take my backpack, I'd had nothing. I mean, literally everything I owned was in my pack. Everything I owned. And it's still not much more than that. And I'm fine with that. I'm okay with that. I really am. Well, any questions before we wrap this up? No. Thank you, Alan. Um, Thank you. Obviously, we'll have you back again because you have a lot of stories to tell. Um, it's been great getting to know you the last couple weeks. Yeah, um, a little bit better and understanding more about because we talk a lot about drug addiction, but never just alcoholics and alcoholism. It, so yeah, it's um still comes down to the same basic function of your brain wanting something like that, the addiction. And Alan knows all about my cake. Yeah. <laughs> so. I, I only brought a small cup. I only brought a really small one bite cupcake to eat after this. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sharing. Oh, you're not sharing. Nope. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks, thank you. Alan, for coming on. Thanks, Austin. Nice uh, meeting you. Yeah, nice meeting you too. Good luck on your journey of Fox. Was it Fox 43? Or is it New yeah, Fox 43. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks for listening to the Science Things Thing podcast. If you guys have any comments, concerns, anything at all, leave it in a comment on our group or our page. But, uh, yeah, we'll catch you on the next one. See ya. See ya. Bye.